Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 10th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering October 1977, with progs 32 through 36. This week, we'll get the bloody end of Shaco and the exciting start of the next adventure for the Harlem Heroes. How are you doing this week, Fox? Oh man, this was a really good series of progs. Yeah, man, there's some good, some good comics here. Um, we're getting real crazy with Invasion. That's the first one, and then everything oh. else is also getting pretty good. It sets a freaking tone, like uh, yeah. this. These, these first couple progs with Invasion. Yeah. This yeah, one's particularly weird. For sure. Let's get into it. Thrill One Invasion. Okay, so uh, the boys are still in Scotland. They're wreaking havoc in the Highlands. As you do. Yeah, of course. To stop them, the, uh, the Volgans have called in the evil Colonel Volgaska to bring them down. <laughs> so, tough resistance fighter Bill Savage and his lieutenant Peter Silk get word of this new leader and head into town to take the, the, to take the Volg down. Uh, while casing the joint, they warn a cleaning lady to stay out of the colonel's office that night. And as the boys set up to snipe the colonel from a distance, they're confronted by the same old lady who jabs St- Savage with a poison-tipped spike as Vogon oh, no. troops appear. Yeah, she's the new colonel! Dude, Rosa. what a twist. Yeah, super-duper, ultra-twist. Rosa Volgaska. Silk and Savage are captured, and Savage is poisoned by Volgan Insanity Poison. <laughs> insanity or, Poison. Yeah, because in the next prog, we open up with Savage screaming out loud. He's like, he keeps calling out for Nessie to come save him. And the Volgs assume this means that he's calling out, because they're in Scotland and stuff, to the Loch Ness Monster to protect him or something um to further rub in the propaganda victory of being able to execute savage in front um, on live tv they take savage and silk down to the shore of loch ness and as savage calls out to nessie his call is answered (laughs) kind of yeah man it's answered by big nessie mccarran a uh Lady of Size, who is a formerly a lorry driver and lady wrestler extraordinary. So, this is really cool. <laughs> she kind of climbs out of Loch Ness, like in a bathing suit with like a, a swim cap and goggles, <laughs> along with a bunch of other resistance guys and a bunch of guns and stuff. That's pretty great. Everyone's got AKs. Yeah, and so, every, and so the Vogues are all shot down, and... Nessie and uh, Colonel Volgaska get in a big wrestling match, and Nessie beats the crap out of her. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, kick to the face was gnarly. But there's there's these really good action shots of them just punching the hell out of each other. Yeah, Vol- Volgaska kicks Nessie in the face and flips her over her back, but then Nessie like decks Volgaska like two or three times in her face. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Volgaska's about to use her secret ring to poison Nessie, but then uh, Savage shoots the ring right off her finger, which is pretty dope. Yeah, and uh, I guess, you know, we end with them both just kind of embracing over the fact that he's a real sweet talker. Well, like, you know, Savage has the nicest things. Um, Oddly merciful, uh, they don't seem to kill Volgaska in the course of this uh, breakout. Oh, yeah, I feel like, well, I guess maybe he just doesn't straight walk up to people and execute them. He has to do it in ways where he's under attack, I guess. I guess, as we'll see in the next episode. <laughs> um, as in the next um, issue, in the next prog, uh, uh, the Resistance guys take down a, a Volgon collaborator in, like, a uh, armored personnel carrier, and then the the collaborator is like, hey, like you guys should stop fighting for your freedom and come hang out with me. We got cool collaborator benefits. And Savage is like, well, that sounds good to me. I'm collaborating. 
Hey, and, um, Conrad. Yeah. What are time pencil detonators? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine that a time pencil detonator is a uh, timed you know a timed fuse on something or other. Let me look. Yeah. Let me ask Doctor Internet quickly. <laughs> this will be important to the story, I promise. Yeah. Okay. So a pencil bomb is a type of time bomb with a timer. So it, it is anytime. exactly a box of James Bond time pencil explosives. Yeah. I mean, that sounds right. <laughs> All right. And then I guess a, uh, a pencil detonator is a fuse that could be connected to a detonator for um, or a piece of like safety fuse. It's just, it's just a way of us of signaling a detonator first used during World War II. Well, there we go. I've learned something this day. <laughs> I kind of learned something too. I don't know. I just made that up from Wikipedia and from like vague <laughs> looks at Wikipedia entries. But basically, Savage betrays, seems to betray his buddy. He's hanging out in the back of this APC as the collaborator drives. He looks at this uh, big crate of pencil detonators and uh, grenades. And after messing around with him a little bit, offers to drive the uh, APC thing, drives it to the rich country estate of the collaborator guy right through a wall into a fancy dinner that a bunch of volks are putting on. Savage then jumps out just in time as all the detonators he set in the back of the APC go off. And there's a huge explosion completely destroying the main house and all the volks inside. It's, uh, it's great. It is a massacre of a lot of people. <laughs> Unhurting the explosion is the rich collaborator's Rolls Royce, which uh, Savage quickly steals and then drives <laughs> off in, picking up his buddies on the way back. And they're all like, oh, you're not evil. And he's like, nope, and look at this great ride. Yeah, with the fanciest um, rebellion cell in the, in the resistance. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. So next up, uh, it's a rough time in the Scottish rebellion as... Woodsman rebels are unhappy with oilman rebels. Savage orders the two leaders of the different factions to duke it out, but as they do, they're um, arrested and picked up by Volgs. <gasps> so, you know, Kel horror. So it's time for the two factions to team up to free the uh, leaders. They, <laughs> the way they team up is pretty awesome. All right, so the two leaders are being held in this Volgon base. First, the oil guys help out by creating a semi-diversion um, by rolling a bunch of barrels of oil, you know, down the hill to, like, uh, get the Volg's attention. And they're all and like, then, whoa. And then the, 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 the woodsman guys on the other side of the base go to the Volgon flagpole and throw an ass load of axes <laughs> at the flagpole, creating... This kind of axe ladder that allows Savage and Silk to make to climb up into the Volgon base, kill everybody, and free the leader, guys. It's good times. And then they, they have a big old party. Needs Everyone escapes. Yeah, big party. Savage eats a big old turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> Silk is like, Savage, did you uh, turn those guys in just so that they'd, we'd go have this big mission and then we'd all be friends again? And Savage is like, oh, never tell. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, he says, says, oh, like, yeah, I sent him a note. You found it. Anyway, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> I'm the best. I, it, I mean, he's really, uh, he's really good at killing Volgs. So, I mean. And team building, you know. Hire, <laughs> through hire, hire Savage for your murder-based uh, team building excursion. You know, trust fall of doom and stuff. Oh, that's pretty great. They say man is the most deadly prey? Question mark? Hey, why not? So, in the final prod, we actually get a new innovation for 2000 AD, which is we start getting credit cards, which is which are, you know, the, the, the credit for, the, for that story of that prog. Mm. So, I can tell you that this final prog, the script is by Chris Lauder, the art is by ian kennedy and the letterer is tom frame oh cool so slightly actually i think kennedy's new on on invasion because the art style changes from the previous prog to this one mm -hmm. but basically 
the Volgans have finally completed the Trans-English Channel Tunnel. Oh, no! Um, after taking out a helicopter with a shotgun, Savage and Silk team up with French Resistance guys on the other side of the channel. The plan is underway. No! Basically, uh, you know, old school uh, Star Wars style, They uh, Savage and Silk pretend to be captured. And then they use they uh, start fighting everybody. They steal a Volgon jump jet being driven through the tunnel underground. Just like what? <laughs> they it's got a, it's got a VTOL you know it's vertical takeoff and landing. They they blast some holes in the side of the tunnel. Uh, swim up, uh, get fairly close to the top of the, of the hole, and then ejection seat to safety. <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty standard invasion fare, you know. The uh, tunnel's completely flooded <clears throat> and destroyed. Take that infrastructure project. <laughs> it's uh, it was very effective. Also, they got to uh, use ejector seats while underneath the water. So yeah, th- there was a lot of a lot of technology in this one, just in terms of like ejector seats and tunnels and jump jets, things like that. Um, Savage and Silk were just sort of tooling around on a boat, and they sort of saw one jump jet, and then they're like, oh, they're going to send an attack helicopter after it. And uh, Savage is now actually pretty adept at just sort of shooting down helicopters with like, one shotgun blast, <laughs> which is pretty a pretty good skill to have, frankly. I think so. I mean, I can't think of situations where it wouldn't come in handy. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I will say it's weird that uh, that he kind of was able to be in a plane and not be completely confused by it. Because usually he's like, ah, technology, this is weird. Yeah, I think Silk was the one doing the uh, doing the flying. He's usually the technical guy. But it, oh, oh, I guess he probably team, says a you know? seat on the button or something. Yeah. It's just like, he knows his way around the cockpit a little bit too weird. Mm, could be. I mean, you know, Savage's technological knowledge sort of varies from time to time. This is sort of what he needs it to be for the story, you know? <laughs> For sure. But hey, um, speaking of technology being out of control and running amok, thrill to Judge Dredd. Man, this uh, this month was awesome. There's some fun Judge Dreads in this one, man. We start off with Judge Dredd just sort of hanging out at the grand opening of Computel, the world's first all-computer-operated uh, hotel. No human people working in it, just the hotel sort of answering problems and doing stuff. Yeah, so it immediately starts killing everyone. <laughs> In comical ways. Just straight up the uh, like the bride and groom of the honeymoon suite asks for a uh, thermo salad and get burned to death. The uh, like there's elevator doors open and people fall through the uh, elevator shaft, getting drowned in showers. Um, just everything, you know. <laughs> Gas being pumped into rooms. People being hella killed by this hotel. Judge mm-hmm. Dredd walks in and is like, hey, this place seems pretty empty. And one surviving guest is like, oh, Judge Dredd, they're killing all of us in here. <laughs> Judge Dredd kind of diehards his way through the hotel fairly quickly, gets to the compu brain of the computel, and, you know, blasts the heck out of it. Yeah, and, and it totally works. And once again, he is right about robots. You'd think this city would have learned by now. This will teach them some more. Machines should serve man, not control him. <laughs> oh, God. And then we get some more weird robot shenanigans with Walter. Well, yeah, as, as uh, in, in, in X-Prog, Walter is apparently buying gifts for Judge Dredd that would require having a job, which makes Judge Dredd suspicious. He follows Walter and finds out that he's uh, driving taxis for money and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which, one, you know, this is pretty adorable. I guess one of the other taxi drivers needs help, and Walter gives Judge Dredd a ride to take out the uh, lawbreakers. Judge Dredd kills a couple guys and um, and then false, forces Walter to quit his job because he's taking the job from a normal human <laughs> as opposed to, you know, robot workers doing stuff. So we, great. We find out that uh, the reason why Walter got the job in the first place is that uh, his boss, Fwed, has a similar speech impediment. (laughs) Next, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, please. Let's keep going. Okay. Next, Prague. Oh, it's very sad. Judge Dredd is dead. 
Oh, Walter, he's a gone, he's a gone. Oh, says God. Maria, Walter, uh, Judge Judy's ha- housekeeper slash landlord. <laughs> he's he was definitely dead. absolutely dead. Yep. Killed in action by evil lawbreaker Mutie the Pig. At his massive funeral, everybody says nice things, including Dredd's old academy mate, Judge Gibson. We are learning about this time. Yeah, just, you know, newly introduced to the uh, to, to the comic. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that Dredd was killed while investigating Mutie the Pig, and then we find out further that he was, in fact, killed by Judge Gibson, who is Mutie the Pig. Twist! He's a, he's a crooked judge! Oh, God, another one. Yeah, as the snow falls in commemoration to Judge Dredd's death, Gibson puts on his Mutie the Pig costume and goes out to rob people when he's confronted by Judge Dredd. It turns out that uh, Dredd (laughs) faked his own death. And the two judges then go to the Academy of Law, I guess, to have their big showdown. A badass gun battle. Yeah, through the uh, like firing range thing set up in the Academy of Law. In the end, Judge Dredd triumphs, of course. So awesome. And um, we, and as he as Gibson dies in his arms, Judge Dredd then goes and removes his name from the honor roll of the class of nineteen of uh, twenty seventy nine, which Dredd was also a member of. He's done this just as he's done for his brother Rico so many years before. So now there's like three dudes left on the honor roll of the class of 79 the Academy of Law because they've all gone. Half of them have gone rogue, basically. Jeez, I I really hope we never meet Hunt or Wagner. Seriously. It's like uh, basically just them dying. And <laughs> uh, Although I do have a, a weird random question before we jump to the next one, which is how many yeah. judges are there because they seem to die a lot or not... If they're not dying, they're definitely evil. It seems like there's hundreds, if not thousands, I would say. Mm. They have to cover this whole city that's basically Maine. That's basically like New York to Atlanta, is my understanding of the current size of Megacity yeah. 1. Jeez. All right. It's sort of, yeah, it's sort of like upstate New York to Georgia, and then maybe as far east as like the Mississippi or something like that. It's a massive uh, space at this point. Yeah, I guess and, they have to have a lot of them. Yeah, and it leads to weird stuff, like in our final prog with script by John Wagner, art by Ian Gibson, and lettering by Tony Jacob. Um, we're seeing a bunch of attacks on regular humans by Troggies. Oh, gross. Yeah, living in the Mega City One sewers, they're kidnapping people and mining out parts of the city to destroy all of Mega City One. It's pretty bad. You find out that these Troggy guys are people who, in like the um, late 20th century grew, grew tired of all the weird stuff that was developing within um, the growing Mega City One and started living underground and quickly mutated. Now uh, their leader, Slick Willie, who controls the Troggies and talks like a beatnik, um, is preparing to destroy the city and there's nothing that Judge Dredd can do about it. Or is there? We'll see you next time with Judge Dredd. I love his hair. Uh, Slick Willie? Yeah, yeah. Groovy Daddy-O. He's got, like, all the outside parts of a pompadour, and then he's missing the inside parts of it. <laughs> Still, he's got style. He's got grace. I love his coat. I yeah, like the, for sure. The design of all of these guys are really awesome. Yeah, the Trogs are pretty cool looking. They're sort of, um, you know, they're kind of fishy, like, weird mutant people. It's pretty neat. I also like two-parters when it's Judge Dredd. It's yeah, pretty Judge, awesome. Yeah, he, he can put together some multi-part stories for sure. Yeah. All in all, like, really, really, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm really starting to enjoy Dread a lot. I'm not, I'm still kind of out on Walter, though. It's, you don't, you, you don't have to like Walter. I don't. I read a lot <laughs> of this stuff. I just, he's just, I find a lot him of to us. be tiresome and not funny. But, yeah. that, but my, our opinion is the minority, at least among 2000 AD readers circa 1977. <laughs> we should, they like, like, they like Walter a ton. We need to go back in time and write a strongly worded note. We've definitely planned that before in this podcast, I think. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of multi-part stories, Thrill 3, Shacko. It's the bloody conclusion to Shacko, Fox. It's so awesome. It's great. It ends, it ends a la Blood Deaths. Yeah. 
So when we last saw Shaco, he was being dragged underwater by the wreckage of an American helicopter. He manages to free himself moderately easily and sort of swims to an ice floe um, where he um, hides from the Russians and, and Americans searching for him. Eventually, he comes across some hunters uh, stabbing baby seals to death. It's like super evil. They're like, we're definitely bad, the characters. Yeah, they just have a bunch of, like, it's three dudes with, like, daggers, and they're, like, just stabbing these seals. Like, really going at it. <laughs> so, Shaco uh, starts popping out of ice holes and killing them, and killing these uh, hunters, but then go disappearing back under the ice hole, like Solid Snake style, essentially. <laughs> It's really great. In the end, he uh, he grabs a pistol from the hand of the oh, bird hunter. That's and, right. And with his bare mouth, manages <laughs> to shoot the guy right in the face. Oh, and then just stands amongst the carnage. Oh, and that was after ripping around a baby seal. Yeah, well, after you know, now now he's got to eat all these seals, of course. <laughs> but I, yeah, as he stands in the wreckage of this seal blubber. We know that the days are numbered for Shacko. Oh, he must die. It's true. Next up, Shacko rematches with the one tusk seal or one tusk walrus that he fought earlier, and in doing so, is spotted by the CIA. Thalmuth and Dollar head out, accompanied by another CIA guy that's angling for Thalmuth's job named Dobie. So they make their way and they find that Shacko's managed to kill the walrus. Falmouth has Dobie hide inside the walrus carcass with a rifle and wait for Shacko to return. This just doesn't seem like a good idea. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> when Falmouth went, sorry, when Shacko actually does return to, to the walrus uh, carcass, Dobie pops up to try to shoot him, but his gun is iced over and he gets eaten by Shacko instead. Oh no! <laughs> it's all part of part of Falmouth's plan to eliminate his rivals and take down Shacko. So, yeah, Falmouth's kind of evil. Yeah. Yeah, he's not I a guess, good guy. I guess Dobby was kind of a jerk, but regardless, like, he's definitely not a great dude. Yeah, I mean, you know, his nickname is Foulmouth. He's not a hero. He's trying to kill Shacko. <laughs> Shacko killed a lot of people. <laughs> That's not my problem. It's his <laughs> problem. That is actually mostly his problem. <laughs> I guess just don't create a super disease. Anyway. That's what I'm trying to say. So, uh, Falmouth and another... So, <clears throat> right now we've sort of got Falmouth and Buck Dollar and then a couple, like, Eskimo trackers, essentially. So, in the next prog, Falmouth and one of the other trackers follow Shaco into a blizzard as Buck Dollar sort of stays behind to sit out the storm. Because smarter... Yeah, Falmouth and Tracker actually find Shacko, but inside this cave where they're huddling away from the storm, and Shacko just kind of grabs their guns somehow, and then just sits in front of the cave, being like, hey, I'm going to eat these guys, but there's no reason to kill them and have them be cold when I eat them. I'll just keep them warm, you know? <laughs> um, and then Falmouth goes nuts. Well, yeah, Falmouth goes crazy. He doesn't want to get eaten by Shacko. He's confronted by his own mortality. <laughs> So first he sends his first he sends the red shirt out to uh, get the gun and try to escape past Shacko. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> no, he just gets eaten. So instead, Falmouth pulls a giant icicle off the wall of the cavern and stabs Shacko in the butt and tries to reach for his a hunting rifle. But oh, that was just that's a bad plan. And oh. Falmouth gets eaten alive by Shacko. That's the end of Falmouth. Yeah, Buck Dollar's the last man standing, and it's up to him to kill the beast. Can he do it? So we end up with Shacko, with the big showdown between Buck Dollar and Shacko. Uh, Buck Dollar decides to put on native Eskimo guard and use like garb and use like a bone harpoon to kill Shacko. He catches up with the bear and throws the harpoon right at Shacko's heart, but it's not enough. Shacko is still alive. He savages Buck Dollar and runs away. At, as uh, Dollar lays dying, a uh, CIA support team shows up. <laughs> this is so great. And it's like, hey man, like how's it going? He's like, I'm dying. Uh, 
I tried to kill him the native way. That didn't work. Let's set a trap for him. Give me that rocket launcher. <laughs> yep. Shacko comes back to finish the job on Buck Dollar. And gall dern if Buck Dollar doesn't just shoot a bazooka right in Shacko's chest. <laughs> it doesn't actually... It, it just barely kills Shacko, who then stumbles forward and lands on top of Buck Dollar. And Buck Dollar dies crushed to death by Shacko. But in the, end, the in the end, Shacko died well. Uh, I'm impressed that this bear did not explode. It just, it's like a solid shot bazooka. I don't understand. <laughs> it doesn't even vaguely explode. He shoots Shacko at point blank range. Like. <laughs> he's, uh, he's basically invincible. So conceding to death, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to settle for the impact, I guess. Yeah, I was, you know, I guess it also preserves the capsule or whatever, which is good, but man. <laughs> that's that's such a, like, I, they really wanted to explode it, but they couldn't reconcile it with that fact. I guarantee that's why he doesn't explode. <laughs> Something. <laughs> and would he not have passed that capsule by now? Or at least, like, exploded from the stomach? I think they've talked a little bit that he's got, like, bare heartburn because it's Lewis Lodge in his stomach. Like, it couldn't move past bear his heartburn. stomach or something. Yeah. yeah, I think you, I imagine a bear experiences indigestion different from a human. That's my like solemn dream in terms of, of uh, bio, uh, biological stuff as it relates to giant bears. <laughs> this is a uh, this is a very scientific podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> we take our facts seriously. Hey, man, we're in space, spinning around, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of bring some logic to this mess. Absolutely. Hey, speaking of logic, let's move on to non-thrill stuff. Ugh. This is just, you know, covers and letters and other things like that from these different uh, progs. Mm-hmm. So Prog 32, uh, on the cover, it's the year 2085 on a distant planet. A virus has wiped out society leaving some sort of, like, peaceful caveman utopia, I guess. But then a robot shows up, and the humans have to relearn war to defeat the, the robot? I, I, I don't know. That's, yeah, what it, was, that's what it is. That yeah, was all right. <laughs> and then there's a post, a post, um, or an end of the issue thing, which is for the future focus posters we talked about most of the last issue, mm-hmm. these intensely wordy, like, arrows oh. sort of, giving the backstory of these different futuristic things. Oh, weird. I did not read this. Mm. These but are you really can, wordy. Like, they're, they're just like, it's, I guess the way you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to put, like, there's six future focus posters, and you're supposed to put, like, three on one side and three on the other side, mm-hmm. and then have the arrows in between each of them, and then the arrows sort of point to one, and, and they're like... Oh, interesting. Sorry, I'm trying to find... One, there we go. Yeah, and they're like, the space hospital started its life in 2015 as an experimental station that studied the effects of zero gravity and vacuum on medicine. But as space exploration developed, so did accidents, severe rocket fuel burns and vacuum exposure being just two <laughs> of the kinds of injuries that were dealt with. The hospital started to grow until oh by 2050. God. It boasts its own zero-gravity operating theater, a series of low-gravity wards for heart transplantations, and a vacuum chamber for burn recovery. And it's just like that for all of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, it really is the most incessant thing. Although, hey, we should, like, get excited about what happened effectively two years ago at this point. I'm pretty excited for the uh, space... I'm pretty excited to go to the space hospital, seeing as how it's been operating for at least for of the last two years or so. All yeah. the rest of these all the rest of these things are safely way in the future. Oh wait, yeah. Yes. Way, way, way out of here. <laughs> it's always funny when these when futuristic stuff happens in the past in these comic books. That's my long term <laughs> joy, I think. It's so hopeful, you know. I talk yeah. about like like, by 2010, we'll have multiple colonies on Jupiter or something like that. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna happen. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Prague 33, uh, the year 2018, crazy androids are on the loose. Be careful. And um, also in that Prague, you could win a space communicator like Dan Dares. You have to yeah. find 
uh, Walters hidden around the comic book, not in Judge Dredd or on that page explaining the rules of the contest. I don't know. I don't know if you counted uh, Fox. I found five Walters. Um, I did not count. I did not want anything to do with that communicator. Fair enough. Because there were fucking groats to be had. <laughs> yeah. So there's also letters <laughs> in this comic where uh, Tharg explains he likes the sounds of these singing mountains of Beetlejuice for music. <laughs> uh, we talk about how Walter has emotions and he got them as part of his freedom papers for helping in the robot wars. And um, so there's things that comics and stuff where they talk about how, like, the concept of the galactic groat, which is some sort of international currency. This issue has 200 hundred notes for galactic groats. You can cut them out and spend them at a uh, intergalactic shop near you. So They're pretty awesome. boss, actually. I like these. Um, uh, I like them. I'm going to print these the fuck out and make a bunch of them and be super, rough, like, rich. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best thing. Hey, um, it, it, it sounds good to me. I need a double-sided printer for real. Yeah, I think we can figure it out. <laughs> yep. So, in Prog 34, in the, um, the cover is basically, <laughs> there's a solar absorption satellite that's going to save the world in the far-off year of 2010, but instead, it has backfired and sets the world on fire instead. <laughs> no. In the letter pages, it's a question about... Uh, Quasar, which is a robot hoax from the late 70s. And we learn that uh, the other robots that were helpful in the robot war are now respectively driving a, can- a cab, trying to register to become a judge, and a burnt-out street bum, respectively. <laughs> which, and, man. Yeah. Exactly. It's the whole gamut. <laughs> and then, at the end of this issue, there's a breakdown of, the, of Judge Dredd's Lawgiver pistol and its various shells and capabilities and stuff, which is awesome to read. Actually, if you can get your hands on it, yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff about like the your muzzle velocities and different kinds of bullets and things like that. It is um, his magic fixing the situation gun, basically. Oh yeah, it's a sonic screwdriver in gun form, essentially. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, in Prog Thirty Five, there's a dude drifting through space. He's about to be picked up by alien ships from an evil, bad alien race, but they don't know he's carrying some kind of crazy sci-fi bomb. Oh, man. Oh, no. It's a twist. Yep. And then finally, in Prog 36, we see a space farmer who gets force-fed the space food that the aliens he's space farming uh, create, and they force-feed him to death. <laughs> There is also, at the end, a sweet layout of uh, Dandare's spaceship, the Space Fort. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, there's lots of room for guns and, like, <laughs> one tiny area for bunks eating and taking showers. I mean, you want all that room for all of the cool rides that you can store and sweet guns you can have. Absolutely. And that's and it. it is not a Star Destroyer. <laughs> it's triangular enough. <laughs> But hey, speaking of which, thrill for Dan Dare. So we pick up where we lost, where we left last uh, last episode, where Dan Dare and company were about to get eaten to death by uh, Roman space vampires. Which space, is weird. Space Roman Roman space vamp. Okay, they're like in space. <laughs> they look like Roman guys, and they are vampires. So I don't know what the order for that is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's and just yeah. generally confusing. Yeah, but so they're about to eat our, our our guys, and our guys are all disarmed. Their guns are in a big cage up in the roof. <laughs> Luckily, Dan Dare is able to get there in time and hit the cage with all the guns, and the guns come flying down pinata style, and everybody uh, grabs their guns and starts shooting the hell out of these vampires, and they run back to the ship, and everything's cool. It's pretty great, to be honest. It's really just like Dandare runs in, we gotta get these guns, and then it's just a, a huge firefight as everybody shooting everybody as Dandare and Co. escape. <laughs> so cool. The The final panel has two puns in it. First, oh, really? first Dandare says, uh, those guys bit off more than they can chew. Oh... And then he says, no one's going to be heartbroken to leave. Because the vampires eat people's hearts. Uh, 
Oh man, that's pretty good. <laughs> no, that's great. Wow, Dandere's really not terrible anymore. He's got he's got his he's got his uh, puns working, and that's all anyone can have, you know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. So next prog, a ship gives Alpha distress signal, but Dandere and Co are too late to help them. Instead, they go back to the ship's home world, where they uh, borrow some loot and then pretend to be another freighter that gets attacked by pirates, and then they kill the hell out of those pirates. Yep, surprise, we're not actually this thing as we shoot off the metal plating that was covering us to make us look like we weren't definitely a warship. Yep. We're a warship. Mm-hmm, yeah. The pirates get taken back for trial, and this planet, uh, Phoenix, becomes the first friendly planet that they've uh, met in their, in their time going out. Also, kind of, like, by force friendly, because they're, like, super pacifist wusses. Yeah, but, you know, they know a good thing when they see it. <laughs> yeah, those guys have a really big ship. Back the guys with the giant cheese block. Yeah. Uh, also, there's some pretty decent laser sword fighting in this issue, and this laser sword fighting is definitely Star Wars-based. Yeah, big time. Um, next, next up, after a crewman attacks a uh, space monkey that has sto- stowed away aboard their ship... Which is bad are- luck. Yeah, well, monkeys were the first animals to go into space, so killing, so like they're like considered lucky by uh, spacer lore. Uh, Dandere and crew head down to a planet called the Green World. They've gotten a big star chart from the Phoenix guys. The green planet is covered in jungle and full of killer trees. Whoa! Yeah, our boys are trapped down there. Oh no! It is pretty creepy. Yeah, like a bunch of, of uh, vines start coming out, and the trees like walk around and eat people and stuff. Yeah, like the roots are feet. Like it's yeah. super creeps. <laughs> so now, next to Prague, it's tree fighting time. Uh, Haley, the guy who attacked the monkey, sacrifices himself to allow the rest of the team to escape the death trees. Because, like... It's to atone for the... attacking the monkey, man. Uh, yeah, but like, really... Like, yeah. he was the skeptic, and he was like, ah, never mind, this is definitely for the monkey that I hit in the face. Absolutely. The monkey recovers from the attack, and because that guy was named Haley, they decide to name them the monkey Haley Jr. Hey, let's not uh, talk about the fact that Haley was a black dude, alright? Like, that's, that's probably right. better not to discuss. Alright. I mean, okay. <laughs> Finally, in Frog 36, uh, with a script by Jerry Finley Day and art by Dave Gibbons, our boys investigate a space station inside a curtain of asteroids on their Sweet Eagle landing crafts. Mm-hmm. The station open fi- opens fire, and one of the crafts and a bunch of our guys are killed. It turns out that this is an outpost of the clearly evil Star Slayers Empire. They say to run away, but Dandare is not having that. <laughs> nope. He and a bunch of his guys paint their spacesuits black and prepare for a midnight raid on the space station. So weird. Like, <coughs> the painting their spacesuits black thing is really weird just because they still have names written on the helmets of their spaceships. <laughs> Other so spacesuits. Yes, oh, so you know who's who. But it's like base relief, so apparently they both painted their space their spacesuits black and then repainted their names on the suits in white. So great. They all just like went up to the other person and just like drew their name in. Yeah. Well, you got to know who's who or whatever. It's bonding, you know? Yeah. But so Dan Dare, man, he's doing pretty good, right? Yeah. You know, um, this is good now. Uh, It's Gulliver's Travels if it was about murder. Yeah, it's fun. Murderous action-based space adventures. Dan Dare's got a good combination of... uh, Bomber jacket, eyebrows, and sideburns that really make him very heroic and awesome in sort of a late right. 70s way. <laughs> Those eyebrows, man. The hook really gets me. Yeah. One of... So, Dan... Okay, I, I just noticed this, too. But <laughs> Dan Dare's, like, right eyebrow. Uh, like, the hair comes up and, like, a hook. Or I guess both his eyebrows, actually, have, like, a hook at the end of them. And it's it's a very unusual way to draw an eyebrow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty pronounced. Like... <laughs> His eyebrows are really thick, leading towards the the um, bridge of his nose, and they get thinner as they go towards the outer edges of his eye. But then a straight line just juts out, and then uh, a sideways looking C. It's weird. Yeah, 
I think, yeah, it's an interesting look for this weird guy named Dan Dare. I love it. It makes him seem like a lot more, like, extraterrestrial, if that makes Hmm. sense. Yeah, I could see it. Hey, speaking of extraterrestrials... (laughs) God. 305 Mach 1. So, we're continuing our uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind-themed Mach 1 adventures this... (laughs) This uh, this month, the Close Encounters of the Third Kind continue as Mach 1 fights some goddamn flying saucers. <laughs> Pretty much. Things are starting to get rough as the aliens mind control the friendly local town sheriff. And they get even rougher when the flying saucers start attacking the town of Prime City. And then even roughest when Probe is then attacked by the reanimated corpse of Dutch Abe, the abusive father from last, from last month. He was a jerk in death as he was in life. Yeah, death in mind-controlled alien death. It's terrible. <laughs> so next up, we start Prague 33 with aliens blasting the shit out of Prime, out of Pine City, and society swiftly breaking down like a yeah, you know, a priest running around with his arms up saying like, "We mean you no harm." Uh, a bunch of thugs uh, kicking all the kids off a school bus so they can drive the school bus to safety. Dude, uh, everybody's dying. There's looters and stuff. Everyone's just dying and going crazy and things are getting real bad. Um, Dan Dare eventually manages to kill Dutch Abe and makes a, a sweet James Bond pun. You can only die twice. And then <laughs> he takes out one of the flying saucers by throwing a flaming col- police car with a mind-controlled sheriff at it. <laughs> and it definitely hits the target and explodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then... They change well, tactics. Yeah, the remaining flying saucers then pick, basically use their tractor beams to suck up this huge nearby lake and just dump all the water on the town, completely uh, drowning it, then fly away. Only John Probe survives. He's debriefed by the Americans, and we see the government basically covering it up. And we learn that, you know, since the, they, the nukes were set off in 1945, Aliens just apparently just show up and destroy a town every now and then in the United States. And they're just it's fine. Laissez-faire about it, and we, he's super pissed. Yeah, we know why, but your security clearance isn't high enough to know, probe. <laughs> and they kick him right. out. It's it's pretty solid. <laughs> it's a jerk move, man. Now I'm starting to feel like he is under uh, under some thumb, as opposed yeah. to just his brooding mock man speeches that we got at the end of. Yeah, so, so next up, next up, <laughs> some mountain climbers are lost on the face of Mount Everest. And it's weird, actually, because this time the year is given as 1983 for Mach 1, and previously yeah. you've seen it be like 1988 or 87 or something like that. I don't know. Mm. But basically, there's a lost ex- expedition, expedition, and there's a lot of unseasonable flooding in India. So Probe sent out to investigate it. He finds out there's a solar energy station 300 feet below the summit of Mount Everest, but he's knocked out before he can learn more. Oh no, what will we do? In the in the next uh, Prague, he comes to, meets a bunch of, uh, of the kidnapped mountain climbers, and we learn that the bad guys are going to use the solar power station to melt the snow in the Himalayas and flood India to death for some reason. Uh, it's not clear. Yeah, because I don't... Were, were they... They don't really characterize, like, the bad guys that much, honestly. Okay, because I was going to make some a, a couple of leaps. They, oh, no, it's uh, the Tibetan army. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. They don't like Indians, I guess. I I'm, <laughs> thought Tibet was supposed to be, like, a peaceful kind of place, man. Hey, what's important is that uh, Pro manages to escape... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's right. Probe escapes, wrecks up the solar pan- the uh, the uh, solar plant, kills a bunch of guards, and at one point uses the frozen corpse of a dead mountain climber <laughs> to kill a bunch of the guards. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's just he's a dead popsicle beating the hell out of people. It's just whipping this dude around like he's just a two by four to hit people with. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, it turns out that the dead body is the, like, grandfather of one of the other mountain climbers who also dies, and Probe, uh, 
decides to climb to the summit to bury one of the dead climbers over the protests of the computer in his brain. Yeah, he wanted to, you know, he only got as far as his dad did, and he was going to get farther, and so he carried the corpse all the way to the top. His poor father, now just used as a weapon by Probe. (laughs) Just like Probe himself, not in frozen death, he's only a weapon, not a man. (laughs) He is still brooding. So in Prog 36, uh, script by Alan Hebden, art by Lozano and Canos, lettering by Jack Potter. Uh, Despite Probe's best efforts, and it involves a motorcycle and then bad guys using hang gliders, uh, the secret of hyperpower has been stolen. (gasps) Several weeks later, Probe starts dodging assassination attempts. A bunch of masonry gets dropped on his head. There's a sweet uh, hyperpowered base car chase and stuff. And in the end, Probe realizes who's attacking him. It's someone with hyperpower. It's a lady. A pretty lady. The Mock Woman saga begins. Whoa. Kind of strange. And that's next. Next episode, we'll get Mock Woman. Man, Mach 1 is also hitting some stride, man. It's not racist anymore. It's I mean, just they, weird. They definitely showed some restraint with the um, Himalaya one. Oh, like, God. That could have been racist. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm pretty sure that whoever was writing for this could have taken any situation and somehow built race into it, man. I, <laughs> like, <clears throat> he would have just been like, oh, space, okay. Uh, this time it's going to be uh, a Chinese dude with the longest Fu Manchu on the planet, and he's trying to construct the Great Wall of Space. <laughs> like, Could be. Like, just something really terrible that doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. But this but, is great. Yeah, this I thought is in the general, opposite of that. Yeah, the alien stuff was was kind of fun, just in kind of a ridiculous, like, all right, now they're body snatcher aliens. Oh, man, <laughs> he threw that car at the flying saucer. That was pretty sweet. I'm pretty. I'm gonna be honest. I'm pretty all right with them just being straight thieves. Um, their their stuff's good when they do that. Uh, and then you know, I thought the Himalaya, the the Everest one was moderate until he used that guy's frozen frozen popsicle corpse as a weapon, and then I was all then I was all in. Dude, it kicked it up a notch. <laughs> the uh, I I like that there is some groundwork being laid right now for um, an equal. You know. Yeah, Mock Woman is an interesting concept for sure. Even if she's a no good commie. <laughs> oh, I mean, she's definitely a commie. Did you see that short hair? Oh yeah, you know, you can tell. Yeah, you can I got my tell. my my commie dar working pretty well. <laughs> you know. Hey, all Americans are required by law. <laughs> um, man, yeah, it was good, uh, and I I like. Well, we'll get to that later. There's a lot <laughs> of things I like about this particular comics cool let's go to a thrill six future shocks (laughs) so first up your future shock voice i man i love you i love saying future shocks it's good it's pretty good so we start off with a bunch of jerks from the future uh doing some time travel tourism they sort of hang out at a pompeii as the lava comes down and kills everybody and then sort of teleport away with uh, tractor beams and stuff. Just sort of laughing at people as they get freaking lava to death. Yeah, they're real jerks. Yeah. Um, back on the... Uh, back with the uh, Trans Time uh, tourism spaceship. Trans Time being, of course, the company that also sent flesh to the past. Mm-hmm. They're offered a bunch of other time periods they can go to. One of the options is the Volgon invasion of Europe which means we've now 100% linked all of the different storylines into one big, massive storyline. Oh, yeah. I love that it's in the same world and just inhabiting different times. Yeah, so the future jerks um, decide to go to England during the time of the witch hunts because they want to see people scream from being burnt at the stake. Because they're weirdos. I mean, they're sort of disaster tourists, I guess, because they can just sort of pop in and then teleport out when they when things get rough, you know? Yeah, but they, like, the way that they describe it, they're just like, oh, yeah, let's, like, watch this happen and watch them burn really slowly and I want to hear them scream and they're weird. Yeah. No, they're, these guys are terrible people. So it's cool when they, <laughs> in the past, in the, in the next prog, 
try to freak out the witch hunter guys by tele by a tractor tractor beaming away in the middle of some witches being burnt at the stake. But then there's a brief interruption in tractor beam power, <laughs> and they fall to the ground. And as their bodies burn, they get a message on the communicator saying, "Like we apologize for the one hour." Um, Loss of tractor beam ability. Your ticket, the price of your ticket, will be refunded in full as they burn to death. Now, do you think that it malfunctioned because they were meant to go back to that point in time to be thought of as witches, so that they would be burned at the stake, uh, and thus that broke? Because if it didn't, I, it I don't know about schism in time. I don't know about meant. <laughs> Um, but I think that them having magical power certainly did give credence to these guys witch hunting. Oh, I just, I mean that, uh, you know, there's always an argument that goes on with, uh, um, back to the future and, and kind of changing the past. Yeah, or, listen, or we're going to, we're going to have some heavy duty time travel progs eventually <laughs> as we make our way through 2000 AD. And I'm guessing I, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> I just don't want to get too in-depth in this discussion for some random future chop from 1977 <laughs> when we're going to be doing... when we're going to have Strontium fucking dog where the humans manage to win a war against mutants by creating time travel guns which se- which kill people by sending them two seconds... by sending them six seconds in the past. But because they're in the same... because they move through time and not space... They actually end up being in like in outer space because six seconds in the past is like oh. a thousand miles away from where the Earth was to where they end up. You know what I mean? Holy crap. So also in that same one, they go back like we're going to have time travel capers involving both Hitler and Ronald Reagan in non-consecutive uh, times in a comic book that takes place about 150 years after Judge Dredd. So... You're getting me really excited. So basically what I'm saying is, one, I'm tantalizing you about uh, Strontium Dog because Strontium <laughs> Dog is the shit. But also, <laughs> also I'm saying that that's a better time to talk about causality than a future shock from Prague 33. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I don't know. You no, know, I know your feelings on future shocks. It's all right. I That's think you're, me- yeah. You're It'll be good. Uh, meanwhile, in the next prog, uh, a bunch of space guys land on an alien planet. Um, they get attacked. Yeah. Oh, sorry. By a by a on a vampire planet, they get attacked by vampires. One of the guy gets turned into a vampire. He kind of kills these guys through the spaceship. You know, vampire style. They can't stop him. Until he gets to the galley of the ship, where the chef has a uh, secret weapon, a garlic powder. Ta-da! Even in space. Yep. (laughs) It's pretty great. Yeah. Win that fight. Yeah, man. You know, there's three... Apparently, we learn um, there's three methods to kill vampires, and it's stake through the heart, exposure to sun rays, and drenching with essence of garlic. Yep. Also, before we jump into this next one... Yeah. Is my favorite thing nearly in this comic. The net, like this one from Prague Thirty Five, is really weird. Um, <laughs> it really is. It's like in I don't know <laughs> the future. <laughs> ten thousand year after ten thousand years of equal power in some war by space guys. I don't know by future guys. An ultimate warrior is created. His gaze is deadly. Just looking at dudes, he kills everybody and wins the, this endless war that's been being fought for 10,000 years. In the end, his father gives this warrior Peron the, his final reward. Peron has to remove his visor to do so, and he looks into a mirror. But why? And he blasts himself with his own ultimate death vision. <laughs> And it, and it turns out that with him dead, uh, Peron's father is now the ultimate power in this war, war-torn world of the distant future. So, uh, yeah, didn't, didn't uh, like his son being the most powerful warrior ever, even though yeah. everything he looked at would definitely die. It's fun future stuff 
future war stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got power armor and these helmets with uh, crazy futuristic deer antlers on them and stuff. It's yeah, neat. I really liked it. That's damn, pretty much it. Damn Peron <laughs> with his magic glasses things killing oh, people. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the whole uh, uh, Cyclops thing, right? Like, that felt yeah. very kind of taken from X-Men. No, I think it's cool, too. I think it's just, you know, it's it's just weird. Like, like the art style is very, like, impressionistic and just, like, the, oh, setting, yeah. the setting of, like, you know, some distant, ridiculous future makes it sort of be like, whoa, like, it gives you whiplash, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Also, did did the king look like he was wearing a baseball cap the entire time to you? Kind of. His future hat was very, um, is a little bit too futury that it come it came back around to being unfutury. Yeah, I wanted to call him like King Chad. <laughs> Bro, you totally kicked ass on the battlefield. So check it. I got you a totally sweet gift. It's an IKEA mirror. Oh damn! It totally blasted you. Guess I'm gonna stay, you know, boss of the sorority. That's the end of the... Your bronus, I guess. <laughs> Your bronus. So, and finally, um, one of these one and a half page future shocks. Oh, these uh, space dudes find these planets, and they're all made out of metal, and it's very confusing. What's going on? Oh no, space guys are using them as pool balls, and it's a giant space pool thing with these huge energy beasts or whatever, whatever. Oh man, it's crazy. Wah, wah. (laughs) Great ball in the corner galaxy for 50 groats. Man, 50 groats. Need at least 100 to get this comic. Man, I have 200 groats, man. Burn a hole in my pocket. My space pocket. I'm ready to get some. Uh, I'm ready to get some cool swag from the universe. Yeah, man, I need some space action and speak this action. <laughs> Thrill seven inferno, dude. So we what have one. I'm for really. Yeah, we had one prop. So we only have one prop of inferno. Um, but it's funny, and, and it's in Prague 36. But it's funny because all of Prague 35 has messages at the end of the of the thrills. <laughs> That are that are teasing Inferno. Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all pretty awesome. Uh, it's too hot to handle. It's Inferno. <laughs> my my favorite strip. The heroes returns next. Plog. Goddamn Walter the robot. <laughs> it's all over and done. The end of Shacko. But our next Prague sees the hero's <laughs> backo. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> um, heat's on next Prague. Watch out for Inferno. Uh, the heroes return next Prague in Inferno. And starting next Prague, a whole new ball game for the heroes. Yep. So here we go. Uh, script by Tom Tully. Art by Massimo Be- Bellarginelli. Lettering by Bill Nuttall. Ah, oh, it's Inferno. It's the craziest game ever. Um, <laughs> it involves... Motorcycles, rocket packs, uh, a ball, a There's massive man. The guys on the motorcycles have grappling hooks <laughs> that they can use to grab the guys with jetpacks and like pull them around and stuff. Um, there's at least one guy with a big ass club that just like tends goal or something like that. And they're massive. They're huge people. You gotta like um, if you're on a motorcycle to score, you gotta bounce the ball off a guy on a jetpack, and then it goes in, and just all this kind of stuff. It kind of looks like a soccer field, but imagine motorcycles instead of people. Hmm, that seems right. <laughs> so, to this world, <laughs> the owner of the Washington Wolf Pack is recruiting. The three surviving members of the Harlem Heroes, Giant, Slim, and Zack, to be a member of his team. And they accept. Much uh, to uh, Giant's chagrin later, I think. Well, sh- Giant's like, sort of, you know, he wants to get back and have fun, but, you know, this game seems really tough and they aren't very good at it. Especially <laughs> no. because it's, it seems like they are um, flying it, they're, they're coming in to join it with minimal preparation. Yeah, it was like a day, right? It's like a couple days, but they forget all the rules as soon as the match starts, I think. <laughs> but so, good. they're in a match with the uh, Baltimore Bullets. Uh, Zach makes a rookie mistake and allows the Bullets to score. And we sort of end with Giant being like, oh, like I'm wiped out in the crowd. Being, oh, you guys are all washed up. 
Get out of here. Uh, Inferno's the new thing and Aeroball's terrible. Yeah, like, you're just not fast enough or bad enough. And I'm just like, man, these guys, like, like no one cares that all of their friends died and that they still won the world championship. It seems like after their friends died and the, Harlem, and the heroes won the world championship, like, everyone stopped working at Aeroball. Like, they sort of talk about Aeroball like it's no one watches it anymore, like it's a dead sport. Oh, yeah. Which well, is weird, because they said it was dying because there wasn't enough violence, but then the winning team had, like, ten dudes on the team die. Only three <laughs> people survived. I remember, I remember us having this conversation. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people died. For, for, for a sport that people are worried about because it's not bloody enough, there's a lot of death involved in it. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, no one's died so far in Inferno. That's true. It's gone soft. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what they're... I mean, it could just be the motorcycles, to be honest. It's more than just jetpacks. Yeah, the motorcycles really class things up a little bit and add a new air of, like, ridiculousness. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm really enjoying it a lot, so I'm hoping to see it pan out well. Yeah, I'm hoping for big things for Inferno. We're going to be having it for a couple more months, so it should be nice. a good time. Nice. I do <laughs> like some heroes. Yeah. So, okay. We're, we're done with the stories. We're, we're done with the thrills, Fox. So let's talk about our top and bottom thrills for this month, October 1977. Uh, so, I mean, clearly my top thrill is the competition for the space communicator. <laughs> Man, that's a non... It's specifically in the non-thrill section, Fox. It means it's not uh, a thrill. I mean, I... Okay. Okay, so this this is uh, the crappy part about being like let's say Judge Dread or Invasion for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, I'm Invasion or Judge Dread. I work really hard and I do really great things like have uh, two people wrestle each other uh, after one of them emerges from a lake and one of them is a super murderer. Or mm-hmm. hey, I'm Judge Dread. Like look at me kill people and pretend I'm dead and send an entire city into mourning just to find out that one guy is a crooked cop. Hey, man, but, it's a big deal. You gotta have, like, the strength of the judges, you know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. Like, are you hearing, like, all of these things are awesome, right? Right. And they do it every single week. Uh, but then Shaco ends, and it does it really, 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 really amazingly well. Or um, Dan Dare finally, like, hits its stride into, like, weird fucking territory that like is interesting and and you get kind of into it um the future shocks friggin whatever they're fine um and mach one is getting there i'm i'm giving it some time to breathe before i really make a judgment mm-hmm. but um you know dan dare and and shako are really good and i can't not give it to shako because it was amazing how he died <laughs> yeah got, got a missile launcher to rip bazooka by an eskimo guy that in turn died by being crushed by him it's a pretty that's, good dance of death you know like like nine more people you know what i mean yep killed so many people just a huge i forgot to go back and count but shackles just got a huge body count at least two people per prog is is um i think shackles average yeah, he just murders so much, and it takes a bazooka to take him out. Mm-hmm. That's my top thrill. Following a spirit of the heart. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So Shaco is your top thrill for the month. Absolutely. So what's yours, man? Hmm. I agree that it's it's tough to do this month. There's a bunch of really good ones. Um, I'm gonna say Shaco too, man. I love Shaco, and <laughs> I'm sad to see him go. And just yeah, the, the ridiculousness of bear murder will never be. Will never be enough for me. I'm always ready for more. Um, I just in, invincible in, invincible bears rampaging through Alaska. You know, hell yeah! Like I want to see him adorned in armor and be king of the bears. <laughs> uh, get some uh, golden compass stuff going on with him. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. So, what's your bottom thrill of the month, Fox? Ah, uh, um, I guess like. Many stories and stuff don't count, but uh, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches this month or this week. So, um, definitely not Mach One. Uh, I feel like it's improving enough. Uh, so I guess I'll just say Future Shocks. They're like, eh. 
They're yeah. good. I enjoyed them well enough. It was just more twist stuff, so it's more of the same, and they're really just using it as padding in between as like kind of a cleanser, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, except for the Planet Pool one, which was pretty dire. Um, yeah. The, like, the Future Shocks were better this month, especially that multi-page one, or that multi-prog one with the with the time travelers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of slotting in as my bottom, but honestly, I would say that it's not really that bad. It's yeah. not like... I don't really have a bottom thrill this month. There's nothing that's really like, ah, oh, this is terrible. Get it out of here, you know. Yeah, like I, I the ads. I like stop selling the <laughs> stamps. Never. Like, fucking please stop selling me stamps. It was uh-uh. in the middle of like an invasion comic or something. Yeah. It's really made me upset. It's like I, I don't want stamps. Look, you're gonna buy these stamps. You're gonna answer this stamp trivia. All right. I am going to go on a quest though to find us uh, Weedabix. So we can try it. They've started to, yeah, they sort of have really weird weed bits. I think it's like shredded wheat or something like that. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm looking it up right now, and I'm really hoping it's something definitely delicious, but I think it's just wheat biscuits. Yeah, That's it's definitely wheat biscuits. Oh, but you put them in milk? Yeah, it's like cereal. They're like big old um, cereal oh. pieces. Oh, but, but they're you like let shredded it get mush. They're like shredded wheat or something like that. That's what they seem like to me. Yeah, you let them get mushy. They look like uh, hash browns here. So I, when I saw it, I was like, hash browns and milk, that looks disgusting. I mean, you know, that's within the purview of English food, I suppose. All right, no, we're going to try this. I'm going to see if we can get some. Hooray. <laughs> hey, man, it's going to be good for your diet. Think of how well you'll poop. Nothing's good for my diet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh, yep, I can get it. Prime Pantry, three ninety nine. Okay, enough of this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, all I'm saying is uh, El Cabong is the only one that I know from that, but he's not even El Cabong right now. I, one of these cartoon characters. Oh, yeah, it's, there's, a com- there's a commercial that's all uh, like Hanna-Barbera cartoon guys, like Tom that's Cat, Huckleberry Hound, and stuff like that. Oh. God damn, dude, just because you fucking know Tom Cat Huckleberry Hound. Did not remember that whatsoever. That's what I do. I remember things that are not useful on their face, but then end up being useful. Hey, 100%. I fucking... What's the horse? Um, shoot. Quick Draw McGraw. Ah, there we go. Thank you. Because that was going to bug me all night. Yeah, and then there's Snagglepuss, and uh, I forget what the gator's called. But anyhow... Oh. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. Tune in next week as the Harlem Heroes score an inferno. Dread takes down the Trogies. Royalty invades England. Dan Dare and company slay the Star Slayers. And we get to know the Mock Woman. And of course, the future remains shocking. And that's just the first prog. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid birth rate. trick up my sleeve. This capsule of priming fuel for the eagle's starters. This'll wake him up all at once.